Well, good morning, Claremont Bible Chapel. I have a thing of tax receipts for people, so don't run away right when meeting's over. I'm going to track you down and hand this to you. And if you find mistakes on it, that happens. <laughs> so do go through it. Do check it out. Uh, do go and compare it with your own stuff. And uh, if there is a mistake, bring it to my attention, and I will fix it. And uh, we can go from there. Um, our cousin Nicole is here all the way from Australia. So uh, those of you who have been here for a number of years probably remember her. Uh, do say hi. So it's good to have an extra body in the pew to help us with all the kids. So Nicole, thank you for that. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Um, I wasn't originally scheduled to speak uh, this morning, uh, just tonight, but uh, uh, with the owners at the um, funeral, uh, for uh, their uh, sister, um, Jeff was supposed to be up here. So we're going to continue through our portion in Nehemiah. And I looked back and I thought, when was the last time I had touched Nehemiah? Because the elders had done a good job of getting me away from it and putting me on um, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, Galatians. Like, we've got to do something to get this guy out of the Old Testament. And uh, it was since March. So you guys have had a, a huge break. Uh, we're coming back to it. Um, eventually we will finish uh, Nehemiah, and Lord willing, we'll go through Malachi. And uh, if you'd been here through all the times I spoke, you've gone through five books of the Bible, the Old Testament period. So that was the goal setting out uh, years ago now, um, but hopefully we'll, we'll get there, Lord willing. Uh, it's been some time since we were in Nehemiah, and you know, a verse came up, I think it was last week, and it was, uh, the, Lord, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know where that's found? She's like, it's got to be in the Psalms. And you would think, like, it's got to be in the Psalms. It's in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. So, you know, we, sometimes we, we, we have these things, these go-to verses, these things that bring comfort to us. And we say them, and it's like, well, I wonder what was going on. Why did they say this? In the time of Nehemiah that he's talking about, they had completed the wall. They had finished it. Uh, they were gathering together. And they were, uh, like, in a sense, it was almost like a dedication uh, they were dedicating this to the Lord, that, they, that the Lord had completed the wall. Ezra stood up, they built a platform, and Ezra's reading from the law. And this hadn't been done in years upon years upon years upon years. Generations, this had not been done. And these people, many of them, are hearing the word of God, essentially for the first time, read out loud, spoken out loud in their own, uh, being able to understand it. And as they're hearing this, they are so convicted they are, are, are so sorrowful for everything they had gone through. Now, remember, they have just gone through a time where the Lord had great protection on them, where the Lord had great provision on them, and they decided that at this point in time, with all the enemies surrounding them, they had to trust in the Lord, and they did as a people, and the Lord brought them through. And so this is like a time of praise that's going on. They're reading the law, and they realize that just right now, in I think it was two weeks' time, one of the feasts is going to take place, the Feast of Booths. And they thought, well, what are we going to do? And the thought came to mind, they must have thought at this point in time, well, we can't just read it and ignore it now. After everything we've just been through, if it says it's in two weeks, then we, got, we have enough time. Let's get prepared and let's do this in two weeks. And it was the first time they had remembered the Feast of Booths that way since the days of Joshua. Centuries before. And so now they're there, they're all there, they're all gathered together, and they decide they're going to read from the law every day. 
And Ezra's out there, and Ezra's reading, a number of people are reading. And essentially, given the timeline, they could have made it through what was the Old Testament at that time. They could have made it through the whole thing. And it was like a light bulb went on for him. It was like all of a sudden it clicked. After everything the Lord had brought him through, after everything they had put him in, they had realized that they'd been wrong about God this whole time. Now, one of the most important things my dad ever told me when I was growing up was that he was not my friend. One day we were, uh, you know, having a, having a thing, as, as fathers and sons do, about uh, something or other. I can't remember what it was. But I was younger at the time. I might have been 11 or 12. And uh, I said, well, you know, you just don't want me to have fun. Like, you don't want me to have any fun. You don't want me to go and do this, whatever it was I wanted to do. And he says, look, I'm not your friend. I don't care if you have fun. My job is to raise you to be a man. My job is to raise you uh, to, to do the right thing. And he had this thing that, you know, his job was, as a father was to, to raise me to be a man. Whether I, I had fun, whether I liked him, whether, like, none of that was essential. Like, he said, I don't care. Friend, not friend, I don't care. I'm, that's not my job. And a light bulb went on in my head. And all of a sudden, our relationship made perfect sense. And he had established these things, and now from my perspective as a son, I can appreciate that. Even at 11 or 12 years old, I didn't like it. It didn't make me happy that I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. But all of a sudden, the relationship made sense, and I understood exactly where he was coming from. He couldn't just let me go off and do whatever I wanted. He'd be a terrible father if he did that. And so the light bulb for the children of Israel has all of a sudden gone on this whole time they had thought like, oh, you know, woe is us and we're terrible people and we were taken captive and, you know, it's hard luck times and when is God going to stand up for us and God should do this and God should do that. And it was like they realized that the whole time they were just being disobedient and their father was disciplining them because the father loved them, because the father wanted more for them. And this whole time they realized that it wasn't discipline for discipline's sake. But in fact, God was showing great mercy to them and not getting, not just wiping them out, not just, you know, start over with someone new. And the light bulb went on for the entire people. And so they're in great sorrow at this time. And Nehemiah is encouraging them back in 8.10. He says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the, the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where this comes from. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we often take that as, and Kathy and I were talking about this last week, we, we often take that as that the joy the Lord gives us is our strength. And I want to I try to change your perspective just a tad and say the fact that the, the children of Israel at this point in time knew that they were in the will of God knew that they were doing exactly what God wanted them, wanted them to do, they knew God was joyful. And the fact that God was joyful was going to give them strength, even though they were sorrowful, even though they were having a hard time. The fact that it made God happy was worth everything. We do this in our own lives. You wouldn't believe the things that we do to try to get that little girl Jane to smile and to laugh. It doesn't matter if it hurts the knees, if it hurts the back, if it, you're tired, if you're this, if you're that. If you can do it and she can laugh, it's, it's enough to get you to do it again. 
And so when you think about it with God, even though, you know, following the Lord is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And that's what the, the children of Israel realize. It's going to cost you. But the fact that you know that it's God's will and that God is pleased is what's going to give you the strength to continue. If you're looking for God to do something for you, like the children of Israel were, I want you to change your perspective and look at it from God's perspective. That's what they realized. That's what I hope we realize today. And as they realize this, as it dawned on them, it causes them to lift up the, the longest prayer we have in Scripture. And so we're going to get back into it in Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, the, the state of the people is verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Um, then those of uh, the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So it's a long day. They're going on, going on, going on. Two days ago, the feast ended. So they, they, they got it all together. They remembered the Feast of Booze. They had the Yosemite week, and uh, they had broken everything down. But they were under so much conviction, they didn't want to leave. And now here they are two days later in sackcloth and ashes, still all gathered together saying, what do we do? What do we do now? And so they're reading, they're worshiping, and it leads to this prayer. Uh, we're going to read it um, and then go through it uh, as we do. Stand up, uh, this is uh, middle, of verse four, or middle of verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws. By the hand of Moses, your servant, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. 
even when they made a molten calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, the land of the king of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful." Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, with which you testified against them, for they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins." Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Okay. That's the longest prayer in the Bible. And it takes, you know, about four and a half minutes to get through it. So we did it. When you look at 
everything that he's recounting, as the light bulb has gone on, one of the things that comes to mind that he realizes is that the entire time God was always good, faithful, righteous, and merciful. And at the same time, the people were the ones that were disobedient, um, you know, turned their backs, stiffened their necks, refused to obey, wanted to return, and the whole time God's continuing to bring them about and bring them about and bring them about. The long-suffering of God, the kindness of God. And all these aspects have now come out to these people, and they're thanking God, but they're also recognizing a pattern, that when the people were in great distress, they cried out to God, and God, every single time, responded. And they realized for themselves, we are a people in great distress. And so they cry out to God. And we're going to see God responds. It's not difficult to comprehend when you understand the person and character of God. Life is hard to understand when you have no idea what God is doing, or what God's like, or what God wants. And unfortunately for many of us, we forget. We have this point in time where we're really close to God and we really remember, and then we kind of drift away. We drift away. We drift away. And then bad things happen and we cry out and God provides, and then we're kind, of, we're kind of brought back. And there's this opportunity there. And the goal is to not get to the point where we forget anymore. And that's why we have what we have every Lord's Day morning, this remembrance time where we come and we remember the Lord and all that he's done, that it would motivate us through the sacrifice that Christ made to give us the strength that we have to get through the rest of the week. We went through a portion, a big portion of this the last time I spoke, so I'm just going to briefly go over. Verse 6, it talks about the God of creation. 7 and 8, it talks about the calling of Abraham. 9 through 12, it talks about the redemption of the people out of Egypt. And then 13 through 15, you have this instruction that's given. And so you kind of see this pattern. You have a call, you have a redemption, and now you have this instruction. Okay, we don't instruct and seek to get better, and then you get in. Uh, you're, you're called, you're redeemed, and then you're told to obey. And so this is the pattern that we see in this. What happened was, after the children of Israel had been brought out of Egypt, they've seen the mighty wonders, they've seen their enemies drowned in the sea, and they're on the other side, immediately they disobey. They're just like us. Immediately they disobey. So in 16, we'll start there. It says, you go through all this, all the things God has done, and it gets to verse 16, and there's a but. But. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. They forgot. They forgot. It's like, you know, it seems to us like it just happened, and yet they're already across, and they kind of forget. But they hardened their necks, and in the rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. So this was the idea. They got a guy, and they said, okay, this guy is going to take us back to Egypt so we can be slaves again there. Because now that I remember it, it seems like it was better back there as a slave than it is right now. And they've just, they com they've completely forgotten what it's like. And so you would expect that the next word would be an and. They did all this. They rejected, they this and that. And sometimes we feel God is going to bring an and. And God punished them for their disobedience. And God brought plagues upon them because they would not trust him. And God but it doesn't start with an and. So... God did all this good. They responded with a contrast, but 
they did wicked. And instead of an and, we have a but from God. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. The light bulb's gone on. This is what God is like. God is not a guy to kick you when you're down. God is not a God to, to, to make it hard for you, just to make it hard for you. You're at this point in your life for a reason. Whatever that point of your life is currently right now, God is working in it for good. And God is working in it in a way to show that he's ready to pardon, that he's kind, that he's merciful, and that he's gracious. So whatever state you're in, whatever you're going through in your own life, this is the character of God. So it continues. He says, you know, if that wasn't enough, he says in verse 18, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. So even when they went so far as to see and remember all the things that were done and attribute it to someone else or something else, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. God didn't leave them alone. God didn't say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to take away this pillar, I'm going to take away this fire, and until you repent, then I'm going to come back. And, and, and that's how it's going to be. It wasn't like that. They disobeyed, they had what they had, but God still led them and provided for them. It says in verse 20, You also gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And that's like one of the great miracles. Because for me, I have a pair of work boots, uh, a brand that I like, that I buy, that are comfortable and, you know, hold up well. They only last about six to eight months. And after six to eight months, the bottoms wear out and my feet begin to hurt. And I know when my feet start hurting, it's time to get new boots. That's six to eight months, like all these years later. These people were walking in a desert for 40 years and their shoes didn't wear out. Like, that's crazy. And this is what they remember. And it's brought up a number of times in the Old Testament as it took place, as the people remember this. The fact that God provided everything they needed in a desert for millions of people. That God is a God that provides and so you may feel that you're in a desert, that you're on your own, that you're isolated, that maybe you've just forgotten that God is with you and God is providing for you. And there's an opportunity to change perspective. And the one thing I want to bring to mind is the people that witnessed all the great miracles in Egypt, the people that were redeemed and brought out that saw the enemy die in the sea, the people that experienced all of that amazing work of God that were 20 and older all died in the wilderness. All of them, except for two. Think about that. The people that went in and took the land were the people that experienced God's faithfulness and provision in the desert. They saw what God was like day in and day out, and they knew that God would provide for them. And 40 years in the wilderness, when they got into the land, it said that the, nothing was like the days under Joshua and those that were with him. It wasn't the ones that experienced the great miracles. It was the ones that saw the steadfast provision of the Lord day in and day out for all those years. 
that we're able to conquer the land and take it. So in verse 22, Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts, so they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of Og, the king of Heshbon, the land of Og, the king of Bashan. Um, when, you, when you're going through the, the Old Testament, these are the guys that said, you know, the children of Israel said, you know, we, we'd like to pass through here. We don't want to take anything from you, but we just want to get through. And the king's like, no, you can't go. And then God said, okay, we're just going to take the land. And so they take the land from him. And so you, you have this idea that as they were going, the children of Israel saw that they weren't going to be able to get through on their own. And God provided all this for them. God conquered their enemies. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, God has, has called you. God has paid the price of redemption for you in Jesus Christ. And God has given you instruction to repent and believe the gospel. To believe that Jesus Christ is that sacrifice, that provision that he's made. Once you've been born again, God's going to conquer all your enemies. He takes them all away with Christ. So you have this idea that they go before. It says, you also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. Um, Victory over the enemies and a fulfillment of his word. Um, We see God's fulfilling his promises. Verse 24, so the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. They took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. And this is what God always wanted. (laughs) God always wanted their obedience. God always wanted to give them everything that he had promised them. And now that they've been obedient at this point in time in their history, they walk into these lands where everything's already done for them. They don't start from scratch. They don't build cities. They don't do all these things. Everything's already been provided. Um, it's kind of like when Kathy and I got married, we, we bought a place, and it's an older house. Um, but when we moved in, the couple before us was older and uh, had money, had more money than we did. And they um, redid all the electrical. They redid all the plumbing. They redid all the stuff that we didn't have to do. And so when we walked in the house to look at it, I was like, wow, you know, it was such a blessing that all that stuff was already taken care of, and we didn't have to work to fix it. And for these people, it wasn't that. They were walking into entire cities that were already ready for them to inhabit. And so it says, they delighted themselves in your great goodness. So again, uh, this, this cycle that the children of Israel, uh, that we ourselves find in, where God brings blessing and then we see disobedience. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. You have this idea that at this point in time, God is now sending prophets to speak to them to turn, and they are so angered at the message that they just kill the messenger. I hope no one in here is at that point in their Christian life where you're just, you know, don't stone me, I guess. But when you're just so angry at the person that, you know, when you're, when you're kind of wandering away from the Lord and you fall into something, the last thing you want is for someone else to point that out. 
that you're in sin. And for some reason, instead of being mad at the sin, your disobedience, or the, you're mad at the person that told you this. And they're only doing it because they know what God desires for you. God desires all this goodness. And so it says that they were at such a point <clears throat> where they stoned those, that, uh, those prophets or they killed those prophets. Verse 27, Therefore you delivered them into the hands of their enemies, you oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Um, so this is the time of judges. They keep uh, disobeying. God keeps raising up judges to deliver them. As they are being delivered, they're falling right back into uh, disobedience. It says, but after they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. This cycle, just continuing, continuing. We see it in our own lives. Um, they're, in a sense, better off because this is a generational thing. So it's like one generation does well, the next generation does poorly. So there were people in those generations that, that did do what God wanted, but immediately the next generation would rise up and fall back into it. For us, we see that cycle in our own life. We, we, we have these periods of time where we, we want to obey God, we want to do what the will of God is, and then all of a sudden we see something that will benefit us more that maybe will cost us a little bit of our testimony to do, and we kind of seek after that, whether it's uh, lust, covetousness, uh, envy, uh, pride, whatever it is that's causing you to seek something that God doesn't want for you, and then for God to tell you and you to say, no, I, 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 you know, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. Then all of a sudden you find yourself out so far, you wonder, what do I do now? And these people are in such great distress. The only option they had was to cry out to God. And what is the character of God? To respond. To be kind. To be merciful. And you think, could we ever exhaust the goodness of God? Christ shows us that we can't. Because he's already paid for it all. So you have this going on for the people. As they're experiencing, as they're reviewing their history, the history of the people, the history of God's actions, they're starting to recognize this is really what, what God is like. Verse 29, he says, You testified against them that you might bring them back to your law, yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. <clears throat> And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. They just continue down the path that they're going. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. And... You know, as they're going through this, as they're recounting the history, a number of times they're probably, I mean, we do this too. When you, if you really think back to, and you're really honest about the way you are, <laughs> I think about it with my parents, um, you know, how good my parents were to me. 
and at times when, you know, I didn't, I didn't deserve it at all. There was never a point in time where I didn't have a, a home, a bed, clothes, food, all these things provided for me, love, care. Um, and yet the way I acted at times would say, I didn't, they should have just taken it all away. They should just kicked me out on the street and been done with it. And yet the, the, the action of the parents now looking back, I see. And so that's what they're doing. They're, they're taking this and they're saying, you know, God, after all this, you should have just wiped us out. <laughs> I mean, that was really, I mean, you know, enough's enough. And you, you could have started over. You could have just begun again. And you just should have wiped us out and, and consumed us um, the way we were acting. But, but you are God, gracious and merciful. Amazing. So as they recounted all the way up until they, they get to what they're looking at as the present time. And they're looking around at everything and they're seeing now, they're understanding the full character of what God is like and how God responds and what their responsibility is. And this is what happens. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our prophets, our fathers, and your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. So he's basically saying, you know, we understand that we're not in a position like generations before us were. Now they're in the land, the wall's been built, the temple's there. They're starting to get their feet under them, actually. And this is starting to turn out for a, a good thing for the children of Israel, even though they're being oppressed. And he's saying, you know, don't let this continue. Don't, don't let what we're going through seem small to you, God, because you are great, you are an awesome, you are a mighty God. We're, we're asking you to do something. And this is, are we at that point in, in our life? where we're asking God to do something, or are we trying to do it ourselves? Are we, are we trying to, you know, God, you know, God's gotten this far, and so we're going to make it happen now. We're going to take it from here. Maybe we need to be on this side where we're going to say, we're going to call out to God, and we're going to ask God to do something for us. And so this is the idea. They, they, they get into it, and they say, you know, they correct it, though, in verse 33. However, we are, you are just in all that has befallen us. We're not saying what you did was wrong. And this is the biggest problem for the children of Israel at times. They kind of wondered whether or not God really loved them, God really cared for them. And I think even in our life, we wonder, does God really care? Does God really know? Does God really understand? Does God really want what's best for me? The answer is yes. He does care. He does know. He does love. He does want what's best for you. But what you're going through is, in fact, to bring you to that position, whether it's going through some difficult times or whether it's enjoying this time of blessing. And so he has this, you're just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments, your testimonies with which you testified against them, for they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them nor did they turn from their wicked works. We understand what our fathers did. We understand that you are just in all this. We understand that you dealt faithfully in all this. And we understand that you're a God that keeps mercy and keeps his covenant. And so now we're going to do this. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. There is confession. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. 
Like all those other times in our history before us, we are in great distress and we are crying out for you to save us, crying out for you to help us. Because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now, this is an interesting term. Uh, You don't often see this uh, in the Old Testament, but these are people that have gathered together and they have understood all that God has provided. They have understood what God desires for them. And this is a means they're going to use to create a covenant to keep themselves accountable to one another, but to put themselves accountable to God. And it's not that this was a needed thing for the people, but they were so convicted at this point in time that this is what they decided to do. You make a covenant with God, and you say, God, this is what what I'm going to do. Now, we're not going to get into it. It's in chapter 10, what they get into. But it lists all the people um, that signed this covenant that said that they were going to do what the covenant said. Um, As we go through this this portion, uh, as we continue on, we're going to see that they, they hit difficulties Um, not soon after this. Because when you commit to serving the Lord, when you commit to obedience, there's going to be great difficulties. And it's not hiding the ball. It's not tricking you. It's plain for you to see the history of people that obeyed God face great difficulties. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? It is worth it to see God pleased. It is worth it to know that you're in his will. It is worth it to serve him because he's the only one worthy of service. And so this was the idea. The mindset of the people, we are servants today. In a sense, it was almost like, God, you should do this for us. You should do this for us. You should do this for us. And God's not doing it for me. And well, God, you're not doing what I ask. And they realize at this point in time, they are the servants. He is God. We're here to do what you want to do. And so we're going to commit to doing everything you ask. Um, as we close, just in consideration, whatever you're going through in your life currently um, is purposeful based on the state you're in and based on what God needs to do to show you that he is gracious and kind and merciful and loving. If you're going through difficult times, talk to God. Ask God, what do you want me to do? If, if, if you're, you know, and, and the difficult times is when we find ourselves easily given over to temptation. Don't give in to temptation. Don't give in to the things that, that, that make you feel good just to make you feel good. God wants to be everything for you if you would just turn to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time we've had to gather together and to remember your great goodness Uh, to remember your character, that you're uh, merciful and kind and gracious and loving. And, Father, that you're just, um, that you seek these things for our benefit. And so we pray that we would be um, great servants, um, Father, that we would be obedient in these things, Um, not because we're afraid of punishment, Father, but because we love you. Um, We love you because of all you have done in sending your Son and first loving us and and providing for us. And, Father, we pray that we may obey these instructions Um, that we would ultimately live to show forth Christ in this world and to one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.